Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Hello, monkeys! I affected a, a weird British accent for that one, sort of. wonder, is that offensive? I don't even know anymore. Hey, everybody. Larry Morgan here. Back in the monkey cage with a second appearance by the great director Paul Feig. Freaks and Geeks, he created. He also directed Bridesmaids and Spy and The Heat. And he was actually with us uh, in the summer of 2016, just before the release of his big blockbuster reboot of Ghostbusters with the all-female lead cast, which, as it turns out, did not either kill anyone or completely erase the original 1984 version, either from the memory of the people who enjoyed it the first time, or physically the prince didn't dissolve into dust when the new one came out. Turns out, you can enjoy the original with Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and Rick Moranis, and Harold Ramis, and you can enjoy this new one for a whole new generation of people. Uh, Paul is back with a brand new movie that opens this Friday as of this release called A Simple Favor. It is a bit of a departure for him as he's done mostly comedic stuff. This is a thriller starring Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively, and it's getting some good buzz on it. It looks very sleek and elegant and interesting. There are comic elements to it. He explains all that. So enjoy, won't you? This episode of Snark Monkey with director Paul Feig is brought to you by Nobody. Because I don't have a sponsor yet. Somebody pony up some dough and 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 bet on this donkey. <laughs> what? Am I mixing? But it just uh, hit the thing. been embracing uh, the social media a little bit more lately, it seems. <laughs> well, you? I've always been a Twitter guy, but Twitter's become so uh, much less fun for various reasons over the last well, few years. I've been following your globetrotting uh, uh, Machu Picchu recently. Yeah, yeah yes. we've just been a, a little over a week in Peru. And yeah, Instagram, I've, I've now... Uh, I'm trying to be more active on Instagram because it's it's more fun and everybody's nicer on Instagram. I find. Yeah, there's less incentive to uh, just be nasty and mean. Yeah. And ma- I mean, who's going to pick on you for taking a hike and yeah. going up to the top of Machu Picchu? See, exactly. Yeah. Maybe some ancient Incas from. <laughs> They're from a the little past. Cr- They're like, hey, get out of our place. They're so cranky. I know. Uh, the the most. Um, I think the most. Interesting thing about that trip you took to Peru, uh, as I followed it, was that I finally got to see you in something resembling casual clothing. <laughs> they must be erased from the internet immediately. <laughs> you wore a cap. You wore a a baseball style. Yes. Cap hat. Yes, exactly. Uh, it was one of those trips where we were moving around so much that right. I realized I couldn't bring, uh, you know, tons of suitcases and, uh, and hat boxes, if you will, <laughs> like some sort of a traveler from 100 years ago. But, I don't know what made me feel so at ease to know that Paul actually does. I think I maybe have asked you about this before, but do you have like evening clothes do you wear uh the, do you have the satin pajamas at night the smoking jacket around the i house? do have all that yeah I, do you sometimes i put it on sometimes yeah. i do it depends yeah. what mood i'm in other times i'll just put on a like a flannel shirt and a pair of jeans that nobody ever sees just because i'm gonna sit and watch tv on my sorry ass <laughs> <laughs> you're probably sick of talking about your sartorial uh, uh oh, splendor i enjoy it but uh, at what point did you make a concentrated effort that you were going to dress as Natalie as you do. <laughs> well, I mean, it kind of started when I was a kid. 
because I'd read a book about um, a biography about Groucho who said he didn't trust any man who didn't dress up. Mm-hmm. So I I started then and dipped my toe in and had a bought you know my mom bought me a suit that was really fancy um, that I outgrew eventually. But I tried there to hang a spectacular out. outfit on the cover of one of your books. Yes, on the front of Super Stud. That was a that was for a dance recital. But that was my suit. It was a suit I had because I was a big Steve Martin fan, and so I had this three piece Steve Martin suit uh, back when he used to do that. Yeah. And, and uh, and then I, I um, morphed it for the uh, for the recital by putting on a spicy bow tie and a, a, f- a ruffled shirt. So yeah. that was gorgeous. Uh, but I, I, I don't think I real. I mean, I kind of went back and forth on dressing up. But it wasn't until right after I did Freaks and Geeks and was in a meeting. You know, a lot of people were thought they wanted to develop a new show with me, and they soon realized they didn't. <laughs> but um, you know, and I was still kind of in my jeans and t shirt mode and. I remember just sitting in those meetings and they always put you on the, like the lowest couch in the place and you're sitting there with like your knees in your face and everybody else is in suits and ties and dressed nice and they're sort of dictating their criticism of what you want to do and are pitching and I just like I don't like this dynamic at all like I feel so identifiable as the quote unquote artist right you know and so when I was looking around them and go like well, I used to wear suits now I'm in my mid 30s like maybe I'll just start again because I kind of miss it um, and so I went and bought a bunch of suits and started wearing them to the um, to the meetings. And then, unbeknownst to me, the industry decided at that very moment to change and become much more casual because they got tired of being called the suits. And so I showed up. I think it was it had to be my like my next meeting, all like in my suit and tie. Like here I am. I'm going in. I'm going to be one of them. And everyone's in jeans and t-shirts. Yeah, studio heads are totally. suddenly the, just the super casual guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's all you know. And so. But as Hollywood will annoyingly do, it wasn't like, oh, gosh, you know, like maybe we should have dressed up. They immediately shift the dynamic of like, oh, okay, see, dummy here doesn't get that that's not cool anymore. So clearly he went and put on his Sunday go-to-meeting clothes and you know dressed up. And it, it was kind of a – there was a derisive feeling in the room. But I remember just going like, you know what, I'm gonna, not going to buy into this because I actually think I look good. And I actually don't think I looked good before when I was wearing jeans and t-shirts and now I think you guys look underdressed and so I just never stopped and just kept stepping it up as I went along that is an interesting thing especially about out here because I do anytime I do work with other clients from other parts of the country it is very much a west coast and especially a Los Angeles thing at a high level of business to be super casual I still when I talk to you know, I work, I do commercials for clients in Texas or whatever, and the CEOs are, man, they're still buttoned up in their suits, and they're not always fitting that great, right. and they might be right off the rack from some random place, but they do feel the need to present a, a certain yeah. kind of look yeah, uh, in it's business. A, it's a uni- I think it's a uniform. I always say, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in charge, you're the captain of the ship, and if I got on a ship and the captain was wearing shorts and, you know, t-shirt, I'd probably get off the ship. <laughs> it's funny you say the thing about the artist, because I think there is a point at which you kind of like uh, you know I don't want to wear a uniform man I'm just yeah. going to be the rebellious type but in a way that it's its own uniform of yeah. of slouchy I don't give a shittedness to me that's the most most kind of you know blending in thing you can do is to just kind of dress like a slob right. in those things because you're not making any I don't think you're making any kind of statement or I think you're making an old fashioned statement right it's like hey I'm not a suit and it's like you know what nobody even thinks of you that they're still going to call you the suits you can show up in you know in Hawaiian shorts and they're still going to go, okay, that's the guy who's in charge or that's the woman who's in charge and, and they're just going to come and try to ruin ruin our project. So you're not fooling anyone is what I'm saying. So you might as well look good. I like The thing about it for you that I like, and I've kind of thought about this way too much, clearly, because we spent, what, 20 minutes talking about it, um, is that as a human being, you are a supremely goofy person. Yes. Uh, at heart and, and otherwise. True. Um, and so the fact that you are so just classy in every other respect is is in itself this kind of interesting statement of here's this very silly man who looks fantastic and I think that throws people off a little bit but in a way it's it's both approachable you are an approachable person you're not a scary you know mean person yeah. but you also look like you've got your act together yeah it's it's kind of false legitimization i, I guess <laughs> no, really it's not false <laughs> well you know what it is i mean honestly <laughs> i think you know uh, i love that like that 
talk show hosts have always worn suits and ties. And I remember like Craig Ferguson for after a while, like stopped wearing a tie and dressed more casual. And I was like, there's something about a funny person dressed nice. It throws it off. I, I, I like to also say, you know, if, if you're a Monty Python fan, the Ministry of Silly Walks would have not been half as funny if John Cleese was, you know, wearing jeans and like, you know, a, a button up shirt. Like, right, it right. would not be funny. It's the fact that he is dressed like a banker, like very staid that way. And, and I, so I like that. I like sort of the, you know, adults being silly. And so, you know, if you dress like an adult, and, you know, and then it, it, dressing, there's a thing in, in, in men's fashion called sprezzatura, which means that something should be out of place or something should let right. the, let people know you're not that serious about it. And so whether it's, you know, I don't know, you, your tie's not tied right or, you you know, you have pocket silk that's kind of popping out or just whatever it is, like that that's kind of a way to signal I'm not serious. And I feel like I'm just, I am the sprezzatura because clearly I'm not that serious of a person. So <laughs> the, the nicer I dress, the more people are like, all right, like, I don't know if they, you know, I feel I think I think I think they get it, and if they don't, then I I like to think I look good. Well, you have inspired me, uh, and I'm not kidding about this. I have uh, not that I aspire to anywhere near the level of what you've got in your closet, <laughs> but I <laughs> I did go, and as a podcast lover and listener myself, yes. um, I bought into Stitch Fix, and hey. so they, in fact I'm wearing in your honor this I, very lovely polo shirt. I think you look lovely. Uh, this is nice. This is about as this is about as far as I'll go. But it's good. You know, I'm telling you, a collar on a man makes all the difference in the world, whether it's a collar on a fancy shirt, or whether it's on a polo shirt or whatever. And I also, I have very sloping shoulders, so I've noticed, like, when I would just be wearing, like, a t-shirt, I look terrible. I mean, terrible. Yep, yep, I'm right there with you. Yeah. I think we have a similar body type. <laughs> For better or worse. We're big and strong. And yeah, that's right. Broad-shouldered. And yeah, that's right. Strapping young men. Yes, that's right. All right. Well, this has been Fashion Talk with Paul Feig. Mm-hmm. Um, Join us next week, and we'll talk about socks. I'm surprised you haven't been. Have you ever been dragged onto any, like, fashion police-type show to talk about that? No. When would jo- you do that? I would. I would in a heartbeat. Yeah, when Joan was still alive, Joan Rivers, I, I she wanted to have me on the fashion police, but they were going through that thing with the the non-union and so I didn't oh, cross the picket line right. but I was so excited to like I was hoping they were going to like solve it and then I could come on and then sadly she passed but yeah. um because you I can talk the that. talk I mean you really you you know you know, know brands enough. and style and yeah. and history and that sort of thing it's become yeah. a thing I mean the only thing I don't like is being judgmental against people but I, I think it'd be fun to just sort of in a, you know in a positive way sort of talk about what people are wearing right but, but I, I, I I think the only sin people commit is if they don't don't try or if they just don't have a style Mm -hmm. and a style can be you wear funny t-shirts all that and that's your style but at least it says who you are and i'm always just against like dressing so you don't get arrested (laughs) you know like all right he's not naked so we can't take him in but yes that's actually the uh, criteria for most people in radio i can tell you (laughs) oh trust me well i I mean but it's all it's stuff like that where you know when i was a kid you know i all had all my favorite djs that i thought you know and i just had this image of them what was your image I, i thought they would look like like a 50s dj you know, like when you see Greece, you know, right, like, right. Uh, oh, they're wearing the suit and tie. Yeah, the suit and tie, tie the watch, flashy. Um, yeah, nobody sees this movie, but American Hot Wax and oh, it's well, Alan yeah, totally, Freed, no, and that's exactly. Yeah, he's wearing a suit while he's on the air, and all the engineers are wearing suits while they're. See, yeah. So that's my image of yeah, it. And yeah. so I remember once, like, you know, I had all CKLW was my favorite. It was uh-huh. this AM radio station, and I just had such an image of what they all looked like. And then they put out this ad. It was all of the DJs. They were under like the the call letters, and they were like standing like you know with their like starfish, like they were kind of arms up to the heavens and they looked awful yeah. and they were all like their hair was all over the place and it's they were wearing scruffy. crappy t-shirts and one guy was wearing shorts and I was just like oh no it, it, it was such an affront to, to my my image but I, I was also the kid that thought when a mu- when songs played on the radio that the bands were in were actually in the radio station I remember thinking like well, how does our local radio station have the Beatles there all the time so that's well, how dumb I was kids are dumb yeah, I mean we, we dumb. were all stupid uh, no radio people are filthy dirty animals so it's it's <laughs> Uh, it's always a shock when you can get us to actually. I, I do remember going in when I was working in Sacramento, 
and I, they had just moved the radio station from outside of town. Usually, you know, it's either in an office building right in a, you yeah, know, yeah. kind of a normal business area, yeah. or you're stuck way out in the middle of nowhere, the city of license, as yeah. it were. Yeah. And we were above a bank building, and then they moved us into a, an office building where there were some local regional headquarters. Mm. And I came in one day, and I was casually dressed. I was going on the air. I didn't care what I looked like then. <laughs> uh, and uh, somebody who was going up to, I think, a Morgan Stanley office in the building <laughs> literally said to me, so where do you work? I was like, uh, <laughs> FM 102. I was like, oh, no dress code there? <laughs> and I was so stunned into silence by the time he got off the elevator, I didn't think, I mean, eventually I thought of the comeback of, uh, no, yes, they make us wear clothes there. And that would have, would have been my snappy retort. Say, oh, if only we could turn back time. <laughs> uh, let us uh, transition. I had a really just like smooth radio style transition, but I'm hungry and tired. So I'm just going to okay. go right to a simple favor. Perfect. Uh, just shifting gears immediately. Look at you. Uh, I think there was something about, oh, I know what it was it was that uh the trailer looks very classy it looks just kind of like this very elegant um and and they are even touting this as a departure from the comedic mind of paul feig or whatever the darker side of paul feig yeah there we go which i I think makes me laugh it does make me laugh (laughs) but it's true i mean and this uh for anybody who's seen the trailer and we're releasing this just before uh, the film opens it, it is very much uh, something different than we would expect, unless it's just a big prank and there's <laughs> going to be people pooping in sync. Yes, exactly. Somewhere. That's exactly. You, you phoned me up. That's oh, the simple I? favor. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. I mean, it, it's a it's a thriller first and foremost. Yeah, yeah. I, I love th- the thriller genre, um, but everything I do has to have some element of of, of humor to it or quirkiness. Because I love the old Hitchcock movies, you right, know, and, right. and the Hitchcock movies, they're very tense and they're very suspenseful, but they, they are, there's funny moments sure. in them, you know, yeah. especially with a lot of his supporting cast, like real oddball eccentric types will show up, or, you know, when you got Cary Grant doing his thing, it's, I, I just think, for me, and I love all the modern thrillers, and I watch them all the time, but for me, I go like, I want to do that, but I just want to, I don't want to take, be so serious that we, we're not having fun, right. you know. I, I guess it, it, thrillers are inherently sort of ridiculous, you know, because they, especially if they get really twisty and turny, they can right. be quite silly. Um, just it, in terms of logic, if you're really kind of yeah. paying too close attention and not just going with the flow of the film, well, you people go, are doing. Well, wait a minute, yeah, yeah, people are doing really extreme things, yeah. you know, and it's uh, emotions are heightened and, and all that. So. But but I, I never wanted – it's never a spoof. I, I, get, I get so insulted when, like, when like a reviewer or an article will refer to my, one of my movies as a spoof. Like, like with Spy, they call – you know, the, the James Bond spoof, Spy. It's like, Spy's not a spoof. I, I mean, maybe if you watch that and you think it, then, then I've failed. But I say that I want to make, like, a real spy movie. Yeah. But then I'm going to put really – eccentric quirky characters in it and their interactions are going to be funny in the way that if you had a bunch of crazy people in a very serious situation there would something funny would come out right and and so spoof says to me that you would be sending up the genre yeah a la airplane or naked gun with with jokes and sight gags and that's not what clearly not what spy was it was a really good spy story that happened to be really funny thanks uh well well that's what you were shooting for i assume yeah no no a hundred percent no i i'm honestly i mean honestly before this movie that was my favorite one that i did but i really think this new one simple favor is is my favorite because you know every time i do a movie i try to walk this tonal tightrope um between the real movie the real genre that we're doing and have make playing it for real but then how do i still find funny in it in a way that doesn't subvert the reality right right and this one was a real this was even more of a tightrope than spy was and spy was a real tightrope yeah oh that's interesting because he i mean you do have uh as your leads we've got anna kendrick and Mm -hmm. blake lively yep Nice going, by the way. Thanks. You know, they're not bad. They're uh, not bad, though. So they got a future in this business. Yeah, I, th- I think they got some promise. Uh, <laughs> both of them do have the chops, clearly, to be funny yeah. or and to push that envelope with you. Yeah. Um, and, but, yeah, I can see where that would be, an, especially for something that is, is meant to be outright a thriller. I mean, the trailer clearly sets up something mm. very mysterious, uh, cliffhanger-y, yeah. you know, what happened to so-and-so, that yeah. sort of thing, which is just kind of a classic 
music right there, uh, a setup for something. It's, but it's, it's a got, great genre. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a great genre to play with in yeah. that way. Did you, were you pushing for this? Were you looking for something like this? Did this fall in your lap? Well, both. I'd been looking to do. I'd been wanting to do a thriller. I kept saying, like, you know, I, all if you look at my, my all my movies are genre movies. That's right. all they are. I just love genres. And people lump you in the comedy uh, side of it because they happen to be funny people in funny movies. Right. 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 But no, I, I honestly think I'm a genre filmmaker. I mean, my, my my hero of all time, it's a filmmaker, is Howard Hawks. I see, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, you know, I mean, this he is who we grew up. Yes. Yeah, this is who we grew up learning about when you and I were both uh, mm-hmm. movie geeks. Yep. And w- once you started to kind of see the connection, once we understood who directors were and what they did, totally. And Hawks, for me, the same. We Billy Wilder is kind of in that same thing, where yeah. you, you know some of the best comedies of all time. Oh, they also have Hawks did. One of the best westerns of all time. Yeah. I like I like Red River better than any other thing that John Ford made. Yeah, uh, could yeah. do a screwball comedy, yeah. and they could turn around and do uh, Billy Wilder's The Lost Weekend and yeah. Sunset Boulevard and Some Like It Hot. That just doesn't seem fair. Yeah, totally. Uh, but yeah. those are the that's probably when we were little wannabe movie makers mm-hmm. when you were making Super Eight crap in the middle of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your alleys and backyards. <laughs> exactly, downtown uh, L.A. Yeah. You wanted to do everything. Well, I, I, I kind of figured that out slowly. It was, it was just because I always wanted to do comedy, mm-hmm. but I found that, you know, unless it was like Marx Brothers, or those things were just like, they're just balls out. They're, right. They only exist to make you laugh. They're right. crazy. They're anarchistic and all that. All the other comedies I would watch always felt like the the wheels were off the track. I mean, look, there's classics like Animal House and Blues Brothers. I think is a perfect movie, personally, just because it's, <laughs> you think it's Blues Brothers is a perfect. Movie. I do. I honestly do. Okay, we're going to come back to that. You can finish your thought, but but I'm making a mental note here. We're Make putting a, a pin in that. that. Yeah. Exactly. All right. <laughs> but you know, but I found that like there was a lot of people use unless they were doing just total anarchy like the Marx Brothers. They use the comedy genre as a way to go. Oh well, we have a story, but we don't necessarily have to be that realistic in our portrayal of the story. And oh, we can we can do a joke at the expense of the character and of the, the rules that we've set up, you know. And so you know, you're kind of going along like, oh, okay, uh, oh, this is fun, but I know the stakes here, and I know what I'm invested in. And then suddenly, like a joke or a set piece will come up. And you go like, wait, why is that person who I thought I knew what they were about mm-hmm. doing something in a way that I don't believe what they're doing? Yeah, it's it's, it's fun to surprise it on. Just go like, oh my god, I didn't think that person would do that. But you should always go like, but I see that they would do that. But when they just do something, you're like, why the hell did they do that? Right. That's, that clearly they're just trying to go for a joke. The, the, the filmmaker then it threw it all off. And so for me, I just was like. I need to face my comedies like they're dramas that are funny. Interesting. And actually, we again, we talked about this before, um, but your your first major motion picture was not filled with laughs at all. No, it was not. Uh, I Am David, uh, the, the little scene. I am, but I think it's still on Netflix. I, <laughs> I remember you and I had an email exchange oh, where um, you were very kind. We were trying to figure out a time where I could come and just visit the office that you were directing episodes at the time. Yeah. And and you just happened to, you were kind of quietly touting, oh, I am David's on HBO right now. And, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and it was like, it was kind of this very gentle plea to me to like, <laughs> could somebody please watch it? There's some good stuff in it. You know, um, you, and it was, and I thought it was lovely. It was like, you seemed you. very proud of it as much as, you know, you were a little hamstrung by budget and, and yeah. that sort of thing. Well, but, you're proud of all your children, you know, even the ugly ones. And, uh, uh, and you know, I, I, I was. Oh, I hate my ugly kids. No, that's. See, well, oh. that one he's got it. That one's got to come. Oh. Uh, no, I, I mean, look, you work so hard on these movies. I right. mean, before that, I made a movie for thirty thousand dollars that never got released because I paid for it out of pocket. I yeah. shot it in six days as a feature film in the middle of a field. It's an hour and a half long, and I'm really proud of it. But I worked as hard on that movie as I do on you know Ghostbusters, and so to put all that time and energy and sweat and everything into it, and then nobody sees it is just gutting. You know, because that's why we make movies. I'm not like a painter who paints a painting and then burns it because I don't want anybody to see it. Right, I right. want people to see it. And so, you know, I Am David just didn't, it didn't, it didn't draw you into the theater because it was a, uh, I, did, I didn't understand kind of how to do commercial film back then. And so you just kind of go like, I love this. Who wouldn't love this? And then you make it and you don't go like, okay, if I didn't know me and I didn't know how good I could make this, quote unquote, 
if I was just like going watching a, a trailer, would I go? Would I say I got to see that? Yeah. And it's a pretty good litmus test if you are really honest about it, because you can go, God, I don't want to see that. You know, this I Am David was a movie about a you know a kid who grows up in a communist labor camp and he's beaten and then he escapes. And, you know, and it's like who who wants to see? Yeah, that? give me your give me your wacky elevator pitch on that one, there, Fee. Oh, I Let's know. It. And it was a very it's a very uplifting story and lovely, and I tried to infuse as much humor into it as I could, but and it, you, it was something you were yeah. passionate about, and that's yeah. uh, that's kind of what you go on. You know, there is a I point know. in our lives, I remember uh, I, I was just having this conversation with somebody, because there are certain mid-80s movies that people have this huge affection for, and I'm thinking specifically like some of the John Hughes stuff, mm-hmm. Goonies, for instance, yeah. and and Normally, I would love that kind of... You and I, uh, I should say, we are exactly the same age. Um, if you were to look at this... Uh, we're both 35? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. We're both in our mid-30s. So we weren't even around in the 80s? <laughs> it's uh, weird, but we yeah, were very quick <laughs> yeah, learners. Right. But we caught up on all that stuff. But um, because I was in film school at the time, mm. I suddenly went from uh, just kind of obs- like consuming every great fun movie I could think of and being a kid and loving all that stuff mm-hmm. I suddenly rejected all the mainstream stuff because I was suddenly really into like the artistic stuff yes and course. I was digging into everything Scorsese did and I was learning about Antonioni and yeah. you know the Italian film and Fellini and I was going to all these other film classes and mm-hmm. I suddenly was rejecting real mainstream popcorn stuff to the yeah. point that I don't have much of an affection for that stuff anymore mm-hmm. uh, or any kind of I don't have a connection to it because it wasn't part of my life then. Yeah. and I wonder if there's a point in our lives where you know if we're trying to be artists and clearly you carried it further than I was able to <laughs> but there there's a point at which you just have to stop taking yourself so seriously and yeah. and also realize where your strength is and where your passion and that strength Connects. Yeah. I mean, was there kind of a moment or a time in your life where you were like connecting those dots? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of came and went. What, uh, the, the problem is everyone's quest, I think it's a quest for awards, quite <laughs> really? frankly. I think so. Yeah. I mean, well, what? Not, we not get, a conscious thing, but like. No, but you go like, what's the thing that's going to like impress everybody? And, right. you know, but we get that in film school because, yeah, I came in totally, and I never quite lost it. I was. I was made fun of in so many of my classes because I kept because you like cartoons yeah. and yeah and I was like the one <laughs> defending ET and all I ever heard everybody's like it is so manipulative it was so many it's a, yes it's a movie every movie is manipulative <laughs> I'm, if I can and taking the back of your head and going look at this look at this look at this yeah. feel I am something man, I am yes. manipulating yes. you yes <laughs> you know and so I, I just uh, kind of you know always I, I think it, part of why I didn't lose it is because I felt so much pressure from everyone around me that I wasn't supposed to like that kind of thing Yeah, that I always kind of held on to it but I, I think it comes from the fact that I was a stand-up comedian for so long I just I just want to entertain an audience and you know when I made I Am David that was sort of my attempt to kind of be a little more serious and I remember you know when I you know wrote the the um, well, I found the book or the book was brought to me and then I wrote the script to my agent going like wow like this is like um award-winning kind of things. And I go, oh, my gosh, maybe I'm going to win an award. And it just, I realized how derailed I got from that. Not that I faced the movie like I was, you know, it was an art film, but it was like I was just, I wasn't thinking commercially. I wasn't thinking, is this going to entertain an audience? And I like to think it does if they're in the right mood for that. Sure, sure. But I don't want to be the guy that sort of, you know, craps on people for, liking something silly look there's plenty of stuff i don't like that i go like why do people like that but i don't i never want to say that and like call anything up publicly first of all i have a hatred of when any artist calls out another artist yeah yeah i just think it's it's not that's not what we do we should either don't say anything or you know or give them praise if if they do something you like but like don't crap on other people's because we look you know we went through it how hard it is to get something made right right and and, and nobody makes a movie that they because they think it's going to be bad yeah you're not going fun yeah you're not going out of your way to make uh, something shitty uh and you're usually putting a whole lot of yourself into it and inevitably um you know you're going to 
no matter what, somebody's going to criticize something, but just to kind of tear it down yeah. uh, and not respect the fact that somebody really put a, a lot of themselves in. Totally. It. And also on the, on the flip side of that, there's going to be people that like it. I mean, yeah. honestly, well, I use this example all the time. You bring up Goonies. Do you remember where you uh, were? Did you go with my class when we went to visit the set of Goonies? No. Yeah, we got to go and into the big, you know, the set with the, with ship the pirate ship. And and yeah, totally. And we went in. They took us in. And they, I mean, the whole the, I forget who the production designer or whoever it was that was kind of lecturing our class that day said, you know, they, you know, they made it and they're not going to let the cast see it until, until they, they walk, walk in. And so they're going to have this natural reaction. And I just thought that was really cool. But then the reason I bring it up is when that movie came out, it got terrible reviews. It got like kind of killed in the review, and now it's one of the most beloved movies of <laughs> right. all time. Right. And so, honestly, when you know, I've gone through things like that. You know, when I went with Ghostbusters, you go, okay, you know, look. Ironically, we got good reviews for the most part sure. in that movie. But going like, you know, what time's just going to sort this out? Everybody's got all these political reasons why they're mad about it, and there's all this maelstrom. But you go, look, twenty years from now, ten years from now, five years from now, even it's just a movie, and either people go like, oh, I like that movie. It's really funny. Or they don't. And you almost have to kind of keep your eye on the prize that way. And you can go like, what's going to entertain people? I just want to make a movie that you watch a bunch of times. Yeah. By the way, uh, congratulations on being able to recover from destroying all our childhoods. That's you, I know. Well, you know, a nice job of coming back. From I that. feed off of that. It's like drinking oh, the, the blood of your enemies. Exactly. Oh, right. Yeah. So I actually lost twenty years. <laughs> I got younger. I was gonna say. Yeah, oh, look, all the lines see. are gone. I, exactly. Oh, My hair's all blonde again. Yeah. I gotta get a deal like that. <laughs> um, okay, let's uh, get back to uh, Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers, uh, which is interesting because I uh, this is not exactly that. Because, again, same thing. I mean, there was a certain type of movie that started coming out when we were that age mm-hmm. where uh, those guys were just like had all the toys and all the tools. And when you're talking Aykroyd and, and Belushi, yeah. who were just gods mm-hmm. of comedy at, at that time for us, and SNL was like such a seminal thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Uh, I must have seen Blues, Blues Brothers three times. Mm-hmm. I saw Spielberg's 1941 three I loved times. that movie. I thought it was the greatest movie. And then I found out it was a big disaster. Yeah. And he hated it. It's like, I, I thought it was hilarious. I had a blast. <laughs> at that I bought the book remember the books they would put out about I, the making of those totally like, we were such nerds I had a Wild Bill poster on my wall you know it was John Belushi <laughs> in the thing and it said Wild Bill wants you I had that up in my room yeah. uh, there are some great little things in that movie yeah. but I, you know honestly if you Blues Brothers for me doesn't really stand the test of time that great uh, people <laughs> refer to it as bloated and that was kind of the joy of it is yeah. that Landis was basically like was running wild with he every dollar is on the screen there yeah. are i mean i don't know how many extras they had the entire city of chicago in yeah. that movie it was ridiculous it's absolutely joyous that, you know and that's all here's my thing i don't like mean-spirited stuff and honestly if you talk about the 80s the 80s got very mean-spirited i mean even if you look at and i love these movies like 48 hours beverly hills cops but there's a there's a mean-spiritedness to those movies yeah. especially towards women i mean my god the portrayals of women are yeah horrible. they're 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 a little tough to watch now yeah but and so when i watched you know blues brothers it was just so much fun because it just it was so like willfully goofy and it set up right from the top it's going to be goofy and it never broke that tone the tone stayed stayed completely you know you know the same and right, you know right. there's carrie fisher showing up she's blowing up a thing and then they're trapped <laughs> under and they just kind of come out from under a bunch of bricks and you go like oh this is the world but he never breaks that yeah. so by the time you get to that Amazing car chase at the end where they literally destroy about a hundred cop cars, mm-hmm. which is so great. But then, you know, but then <laughs> to turn the coin and you go to Blues Brothers 2000, or oh, no. I think they wrecked a thousand, and then you go, like, no, see, now you, it was funny because it was so much. Now this is just dumb. So, you know, but I, I just think with all the music and it's joyous, look, we got you got a great Aretha Franklin uh, oh, performance in oh, there, and James Lord. Brown in the church, and it's just, and it's dancing and fun and. Yeah, that I movie seemed to exist in its own universe, and maybe that was part of the fun of it. Is that because uh, for us, the Blues Brothers were basically just a musical act yeah. on on SNL. That they didn't it. have a persona because yeah. it was this very. They were they were enigmas, yeah. and so to actually see it come to life and be this very kind of 
alternate universe style of something going on and it was but like i say for me it was also just like all these great faces showing up and all all this incredible music and the color of it that james brown you know church sequence is just like people are doing backflips in the air clearly off of trampolines we don't see off you know off camera and it's just like what world are we in that this exists totally but and i wanted to be there totally and he sets i mean you know the fact you know henry gibson's car drives off like a ramp and then suddenly it's literally they've dropped it from a helicopter you know a mile above the city and you go like i just i gotta tip my hat like that is unabashedly saying we're just gonna be nuts and you're just gonna go along for the are there other movies like that that you've been thinking about lately that have kind of uh conjured up memories of of that kind of pure joy or just those things not just not favorite movies but ones like that where the experience was just unlike you would experience yeah i mean this kind of goes in it's part and parcel with sort of what is comedy and what isn't um when I saw Star Wars, uh, like pretty much opening weekend, every minute of that movie, there was an enormous laugh, a giant yes. laugh. And I will go to my grave saying Star Wars is a comedy. It's an action comedy. Because, you know, like take it seriously. You know, it, they, everything is serious. The stakes are couldn't be higher. You know, they're trying to save the world or whatever, you know, try to save the resistance and stop this evil empire, which is very, you know, a big World War II. You know, look, look, it's just, you know, it's everything uh, the, the bad in the world. But they did it with these really fun characters. And there's just, they Lucas had jokes along the yes, way. And I totally. remember the audience going crazy. Every minute, a giant laugh. And then same thing with um, with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Same oh, type of absolutely. thing. Those are action comedies. But we don't, but what's great is they, since they don't say, they don't present themselves as comedies, they're not sold as comedies, you go, oh, this is an action film. And I'm having so much fun. Right. It. And right. so that's what I want to do. I mean, I feel like some, a lot of, you know, some of my movies have been hurt in the marketing because they've just gone like, it's a comedy. Like Spy got hurt by the fact that they were just like, it's a com- it's a yeah. crazy comedy. Yeah. Because it is a comedy, but it's it's a real spy movie. And so what happened, they would do ads where they always see her fall. You always see her falling over on the scooter. Yeah, we talked which, about the scooter. Yeah. yeah and in yeah. the context of the movie, it makes sense. But but, you know, in an ad, it just looks silly. Yeah. So, you know, so, so that's I that's why with Simple Favor, you know, I, we are a thriller, but you're going to have fun and you will you will laugh in it. But but if I said it was a comedy, it's not funny enough to be sold as a comedy right and i right. didn't want it to be that yeah there's there's probably some algorithm somebody could come up with with you know laughs per minute or something to mm-hmm. where suddenly it's like nope you didn't meet the comedy threshold paul we're just well, gonna we're gonna have to call this a thriller instead well i wish they would do that at the uh, golden globes i'll tell you that much <laughs> no kidding you know they jam these movies into the comedy section the be- martian right that's the most yeah we egregious. lost spy lost to the spy and train wreck lost to the martian which yeah. the martian's an amazing movie yes but it's got like a couple of laughs in it. It's not. I wouldn't call it a comedy. Clearly not a comedy. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Just going on that same premise. I, I, I think we think the same way. But I think it's also the movies that stand the test of time are because they are able to satisfy all those little yeah. joy centers in the brain. Whether I mean, I, I immediately thought of Die Hard. Yeah. Um, the oh. moments that that Will is you know come out to the coast. Well, if you yeah. I mean, he's you know it's, it's the middle of this really intense action movie. Jaws in particular, I think, has mm-hmm. Spielberg's always been very good about peppering you know funny moments. There are yeah. light and clearly part of that is just to diffuse the tension. If you were just mm-hmm. tension, tension, tension the whole time, then when there is really something to feel ten, yeah. you know good horror movies use that very effectively in, yeah. in much the same way yeah and uh-huh. I just feel like a, a lot of movies you know when they're dramas or you know thrillers or whatever have lost that that just kind of ethos to do that to yeah. realize the audience needs that and the audience wants that yeah. everything that's I just hey everything's so compartmentalized it's like are you a drama or are you a comedy you know and it's like well what if we're like life and we're laughing yeah. and it's tense at the same time <laughs> um, What? tell us more about A Simple Favor uh, this is based on a novel correct mm-hmm. yep and um that's all I know. <laughs> there you go. I know, the, I know the plot no, but from the trailer. There you go. Well, you think you might know. Exactly. Uh, oh. Do you really know? Oh, well, I think I do, <laughs> Mr. Fee. I think no. I figured it all out. In fact, I know where she is and who did it. Oh, no. Oh, great. It's Spoiler pretty obvious, alert. frankly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, it's written all over the screen. Uh, no, it was... It was. Um, I mean, the road was... 
it was a book that it had a big bidding war in Hollywood for it. And this was before we got involved at all. And Fox 2000 got it. They hired Jessica Scharzer, this amazing writer, to do the adaptation. And then they sent it to us because we have a producing deal, my company, Fico uh, Entertainment, um, with them. And so they sent it to us saying, like, we don't – this movie's, like, crazy. It's like – it's it's a thriller, but it's, it's sort of bananas. Like, we don't know <laughs> if it's a comedy. Is it a drama? And so they sent it over to us, and I read it and loved it so much. I was like, I want to direct this because I'd been wanting to do a thriller, but I don't know how to write a thriller really from scratch um and so just kind of jumped on it and uh you know and then worked with jessica scharzer just going like hey let's even make it even more twisty let's even have more fun and with the surprises and just plowed forward and uh, ironically like nine weeks out uh, fox decided they actually didn't want to do it anymore oh so the the fantastic lion's gate came sweeping in and, and saved us uh, right at nine weeks out for production and we kept us right on schedule so it's interesting for you to say or just even being self-aware i guess enough to say i don't know how to write a thriller um mm. i mean you you write a lot you have written a lot um mm. why does that feel like something you couldn't crack or are you just it just hasn't not your brain doesn't work that yeah, way yeah i don't think my brain works that way you know i read you know i read a lot of thrillers i you know patricia highsmith's like my favorite author i think of all time actually so i, I around it now he's going oh i can write that but like when i sit down to do it it's like it's hard i'm better off if like somebody supplies the bones or gives mm-hmm. the, and then it's like oh then i can see how i can add to that it's just yeah it's just a different skill set really yeah and uh, as far as casting the film, uh, we mentioned the two lovely leads mm-hmm. that you've got there. Or have you worked with Blake before? No, Am I've I... never worked with Anna or Blake. Okay. I'm just a giant fan of both yeah. of them. And, uh, you know, f- f- with Anna, it was like I- I'd seen her, like when she's in 50-50, I love that character that she mm-hmm. plays so much in that. And so when I read this script, I was like, oh, it kind of... It's, you think it's that character, and then we got to get to play with that a little bit. So mm-hmm. I knew it could it'd be the kind of thing where you, the audience, will bring in an expectation of, oh, good, it's going to be Anna doing her thing, and 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 then going like, oh my God, there's so much more here. And with Blake, it was the total opposite. It's like Blake, you're used to seeing her as a as a heroine and you know a good right, guy, right. and you go like, how ooh, this is going to be fun because people are going to see Blake in a way they've never seen her before, and she's amazing. I mean, they're both so good in it, uh, and Blake just turns in this performance that nobody's going expect do you approach uh this film with uh a whole different look and style and feel i mean is there i said i called it elegant earlier and just just from the picking up in the trailer there's just it seems to be a different palette Mm -hmm. there's just uh choices were made somewhere along the line to give this a very specific look and feel yeah i I call it suburban noir okay and uh you know who shot it is our old friend uh john schwartzman Oh, wow. Yeah, who we went to film school with. Oh, and fantastic. John and I have been trying to work together for ever since film school because we were, he and he and Greg Araki were film partners, and Rob Lahani and myself were film partners, but the four of us were like a little, we worked on each other's projects. And, um, and I was just, you know, John was, you know, like a rock star yeah, in big film time. school. Yeah, he shot Phil Joano's short Last Chance Dance, and it was like literally like a Spielberg movie had been yeah. made in our class. We were like, what the hell? I know, I know. And I then, know. you know, but then John went on to shoot, all, you know, almost all Michael Bay's movies, you know, at least the first half of his career, and then Spider Man and all that stuff. Um, but then it just happened where Bob Yeoman usually shoots my movies, who's fantastic, and, and I love him. Uh, but this movie, because our schedule was kind of going off and stuff, he, he, ended up going on to Mamma Mia 2 and John just happened to be available and it was just great we just had the best time and um you know, but he really, you know, he embraced the this suburban noir thing that I said because I, I you know, I like the idea of sort of dark things happening in brightly lit normal spaces right sort yes. of the banality of evil you know right. versus like noari where the shadows and things are lurking is like to me it's scary of like i can see everything and something really fucked up is going on <laughs> but that's kind of fun that's great yeah and john you know and john brought that to it and you know nobody moves a camera like john schwartzman so it's fantastic pretty cool 
I can't wait. It's fun. And then on top of it, uh, my third cast member, uh, yeah, if you know a movie called Crazy Rich Asians, uh, Henry Golding, who's the star of that, is yeah. is the male lead in uh, Simple Favor, and he is he is my hero. There is some fortuitous timing for you right there, because oh, well. people are discovering this guy right now, uh, as we record this, a couple of weeks in a row, and mm-hmm. with huge box office, deservedly so, yeah. just a, a terrific film. Yeah, it really And uh, boy, this guy... You, you got him early. He's and great. maybe you got him cheap. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> compared to, <laughs> compared you know, to now. It might be going up now. <laughs> yeah, I think his price is going to go up. Um, no, he's, I mean, he is the greatest. Just and, a great look, man. It just commands the, the screen. Yeah, it? I just knew I wanted somebody new for this role. And, I, you know, I needed a very specific type of guy who... When you first meet him, you know, you're like, who? It was like you know, when you meet Blake and he, his characters, you go like, I just met like Nick and Nora Charles. Like, you know, here's Anna Kendrick, this suburban mom. And suddenly these two beautiful creatures live in her neighborhood. And they're so cool. And they're drinking in the middle of the day. And, you know, and, but then he then you have to discover a vulnerability in him. And, right. You know, and he has to go through a lot of phases. And it just Henry just seemed perfect. And, and so, you know, I had to I had to I had to work work to get him approved um, just because people did know who he was and nobody knew if that movie was going to do well but i was like you guys this guy is great and he even you know and he went through a lot of hoops he had to audition a few times and then he came in and had to do a screen test with blake lively you know which is that's got to be nerve-wracking and you know he just killed it he crushed it and yeah. and and he was so good you know but i had called john chu who directed crazy rich asians when i was interested in him and said like is he for real because you know it's john's movie was his first acting job he discovered me he was a travel show host wow yeah and i watched his travel show reel from from asia you know that he did in like singapore and all that and he was so charming and funny on it that that's all i can i don't even like i i I don't kind of even really audition people that much anymore i get more from if i can like watch something they did or i can sit and have a drink with them and just see what's funny about them because then i can tailor something to get their person I'm personality. I'm less interested in general with people like acting, acting, you know what I mean? Like creating a crazy character, unless there's somebody you know, like Blake and Anna. Right. But And people don't audition well. I mean, I think that's become... Now, you, you've been around it enough that you, yeah. I think, being in the room and just kind of seeing, maybe testing somebody for chemistry or even improving something can, yeah. can help, but... Usually, and also part of it must be just from a personality standpoint. Is this somebody I want to spend the next however many weeks with? That's a set? huge. That's a huge deal. I mean, I mean, maybe more so than ever. Oh, it's, totally. You know, it's it's one thing to put up with uh, an asshole who's talented, but to put up with an asshole who may not be as talented as yeah. Uh, it's like you'd much rather work with somebody you feel like you've got some potential with who you actually want to be around for a while. That's a, it's so part and parcel with all that. You know, and again, like yeah, like you say, like you hear somebody's a nightmare, but you go they're. Part Perfect, and I could just kind of get through. But I, I mean, I'm at a point now where I don't even know if I care about that because yeah. I just don't want to have a bad time. Yeah. You know, it's so hard. To, People love your sets. I mean, the, I run a fun set. That yeah. comes that comes back all the time. Yeah. yeah, you know, I can't work any other way. I can't if there's tension around or, or angst. I, I, I fall apart, or not even fall apart. I just I. I internalize it, and so it well, just you're an spends actor. all my energy. Yeah. You're an actor. You've probably seen situations. You know there are people. You know there are bosses who kind of rule by that you yeah. know, fear factor yeah. of uh, at any moment. They might, and, and they literally revel in that. And, yeah. some, and some people are, get, are very effective that way. Yeah. I just, don't buy, I just I, don't buy into it because – and I, you know, I, I, it seems to work for guys. But I just think, A, why do you want to create a terrible situation for everybody else? And B, I don't think you get the best work out of people i think i think the people that run those kind of sets might even get 20 percent better work and movie and creativity out of the people that they're screaming at if they weren't screaming at them because then everybody wants to contribute and then you're just the ringmaster and you look as a director you get credit for right you get credit for it so if some you know if the catering guy comes up to me and says like hey i had a funny idea it's like cool tell me you know sometimes it's terrible sometimes you're like that's brilliant. Or sometimes you go like, well, not that, but actually, thanks, because that gave me an idea that's kind of like that, but it's tangential to it. And, you know, and they feel good. They've contributed, and I feel great. I got an idea I never would have thought of, you know, and why would you Why would you ever cut off the creativity of all these creative you know, yeah. if Whoever's there is there because they've got talent. Yeah. So use it. It only makes sense that you would want people who look forward to coming to work every yeah. day. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a movie uh, and, and everything, and people are paid well and all 
all that stuff, but it's it's still hard work, and you still want to kind of enjoy it at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, the, look, the pressure is all you know, not poor us in, in showbiz, but there you know, there's a lot of pressure because you know you're I'm in charge of millions of dollars, you know, and I'm on a schedule that's super tight, and you know I can't go over, and I can't you know unless I don't want to work again, you know, and so so I you have to almost fake yourself into thinking the stakes aren't high and you're just there kind of having a good time but at the same time not so much that you're not realizing that what we're putting down that's it like that's going to exist forever and so let's get something good but then adding on to that you want to make sure that there's a playfulness about what you're doing because then you're just capturing lightning in a bottle you know what I mean and if everything's so buttoned up and so rehearsed with an inch of its life I I personally feel like it loses some fun that's why I don't even do camera rehearsals I kind of go like okay they're going to be here let's just light it set it up and then Oh, you don't even do camera. You don't. I mean, no, not beyond kind of like just basic. Where do you think you would do? Yeah, like uh, if I do rehearsals, like all right, nobody act. Just kind of have script and just kind of feel where you would go, and then we can because you know I've had you know in the past when people had to do camera rehearsals, like the first rehearsal. It's like magic, yeah, yeah. And nobody first take on out it. of the gate, and nobody's totally. got it. And yeah. you're like, oh, can you do that thing that you did? And like, I don't know what I did. It's like, god damn it, it's gone. And you can't even play it back. No, yeah, I try to act it out, and it's terrible. And then you know, so no, you got to be there. Uh, let's give a shout out to casting directors real quick because yes. they, they still continue to probably be one of the most underestimated aspects yep. of any movie, and I. I, I I don't know that I've seen who cast this film. Allison Jones. A- okay, I was going to say Allison Jones, Allison Jones has been connected to you a number of times. Yeah. And by the way, it would be impossible to list off all the things that she's been. So every movie that you've seen in the last. 20 years that's funny. And TV show. <laughs> and TV show. Yeah. Uh, the Office. She and, cast The uh, Office. The original, uh, yeah, original uh, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. Um, she's been a part of. Yeah, she's the mother of modern comedy. I mean, she just has an eye for... Comedic, that's a ma- that's talent. a big statement right there, but it's, but it's absolutely dead on, right? Dead true, it's dead true. She yeah. is. There's nobody like her, you know. Yeah. And she, boy, she puts her heart and soul into it. She goes out. She finds people that you would never know. She scours the internet for them. She just looks under every rock. Yeah, she's haunting UCB theater at, yeah. at weird times. Watching totally. Yeah. And then she's got really talented people working for her who right. are doing the same thing. And. Um, you know, but it, what's so fun is she goes like, "Oh my God, I found somebody. You got to see them." You know, sometimes you go like, "I found a real weirdo," or "I found a real," you know, and then the person and you go like, "Oh my God, this person's so funny and great, and they got a, such a fun personality," and you know, and then you just fall in love with them. And, right? No, she's. I mean, she is the, yeah. the best. I'm so glad it was Allison. I was hoping that it was her on this film as well. Yeah. A simple favor <laughs> yeah. in theaters. Fill in the blank here. Yes. This Friday. Let's say this Friday, Paul, because that's probably when I'll put this up. Yeah, there you go. Sure, All why right. not? Um, you have uh, no uh, filter whatsoever in making no. a fool of yourself. We no. talked about social media earlier and the goofy man in the in the nice suit, um, <laughs> as, I, as I kind of consolidate all the things we've talked about. Um, uh, you had absolutely no problem making a complete fool of yourself on the Joel McHale show with Joel McHale. <laughs> no. Uh, I don't know I if you were, back. were you pressed into doing or were you like, eh, let me do that? Yeah, I, look, I, 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 I... You had a blast there. I had so much fun. I mean, yeah. The Soup was one of my favorite shows of all time. And yeah, how it, would, is that your involvement? Is that you... Uh, how did you get... Uh, I was... Uh, my wife and I have been super fans of The Soup back when it was Talk Soup. Super fans? So, oh, see, soup I did not go fans? there. I did not go there. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. I get know. out. So, so tired. <laughs> but no we, used to, <laughs> no, we used to watch it all day back when Greg Kinnear was the host. Sure. And it was just always my favorite thing, and they'd always have guests on. You know, some somebody celebrity or, or semi celebrity would come on, and for years I would we'd watch, especially with Joel McHale. We really loved when Joel hosted it the best, yeah. and uh, I always go like, oh, I wish I could be on there. And then I there's some guy I kept meeting at a party who said he was a producer on the show, and he said like, oh, I'll get you on. And then like I never heard anything, and then it turned out he might not have really been a producer. On <laughs> and, and what that happens in Hollywood? Yeah, it's weird, wasn't that? But so then. Like I finally like called my publicist like a few years ago and like see if they would ever have me on. It turns out like they were they actually like they like what I do and so they were like we'd love to have him on. Why we wish we'd have called earlier. It's like oh no why didn't I call earlier? So I got to be a guest on the soup. I think 
two like three times i think and then it got canceled and as i was so bummed out a because i just missed watching the show but i also had so much fun on it so it just made it my my goal to get it back on and i ran into kp anderson who's the exact producer on the show he lives in my neighborhood one day and uh i was like we got to bring that back he goes well weirdly joel's actually talking about maybe doing it and so we pitched it in netflix and they did it and sadly they just dropped the show but um, oh they did yeah oh. they did. I, i'm so oh man distraught because i think it, it's so funny and that we had the greatest team of people on that show and oh, joel's so, so good great. yeah uh, so if anybody wants to pick it up it's uh it's available now the team is still available for they you are and it's it, an amazing team you guys i mean you basically just need a green screen and a small room yes. and you're good to go yeah totally i mean that's literally yeah, the it. overhead is very low very paul low. is cheap yes yeah i'm dead cheap um but it, it but it's still it'll be on netflix forever so you can watch the uh 18 episodes or i think we did 18 or 19 uh so there's yeah. still there oh man there. well somebody i'm hoping somebody's done a super cut i challenge anybody on the internets to put together a paul feig super cut yeah. on the joel McHale with joel McHale. i did some really stupid <laughs> you stuff really did they, they would take great joy in seeing how oh, far they could push me man. and I, I don't think i ever turned anything down <laughs> so what else before we wrap up here what else should we know about a simple favor um bef- that we haven't covered um because i want to make sure people check this out it's just a really fun movie it's a real thriller but it's you're gonna have a f- really fun time it, it's 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 just it's kind of everything you want out of a movie it's fun to look at the clothes are beautiful the cast is beautiful you'll laugh you'll you'll scream you'll uh you'll be thrilled you, you may cry at one point uh but you'll have a full full fun experience i mean and honestly I, I really do think this is like my favorite movie i've made just because it, it checks so many boxes of things that i wanted to do um and uh yeah there you go fantastic all right lightning round questions before we wrap up bring i'll see on. if i can try and bring you different ones than we did last time okay um as far as a simple favor goes what is the thriller genre film that would be the touchstone that you kind of turn to for the greatest inspiration in this case uh no hitchcock in particular but generally hitchcock sort of north by northwesty even though we're not as action-packed as that okay perfect uh if you were forced at gunpoint to go up on a karaoke stage what would be the go-to song viva las vegas Okay, I did ask you that last time. Yeah, well, it what hasn't would be changed. Your, what would be your second song oh, God. <laughs> if that was unavailable? Oh man! Um, uh, uh, oh, oh, oh um, uh, the the Johnny Cash one. I hear that train a coming, coming around the bend. And they're going to. It's Folsom Prison. There it is. Folsom Prison. Folsom Prison. I can't even say the words. Somehow I'm going to sing it. Boy, actually, a little kind of similarity in vocal styles between Elvis. Is it just because? That, okay, that I got a low voice. Range. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't. I can't do a Frankie Valley song. <laughs> play to your strengths. Uh, is there a pair of jeans in your closet? And when's the last time you've worn them? Uh, last night. I, <laughs> oh, yes. I, when I'm sitting around the house at night, I'll just pull on. I have like a like just like this one flannel shirt and this pair of jeans that I just. It's my uniform at night. <laughs> okay. Do you iron your jeans? No. Thank you. That would be horrible. Uh, follow up to last time's podcast. By the way, go back, everybody, in the Snark Monkey archives and check out the uh, Ghostbusters episode with oh. uh, Paul Feig, which was quite delightful. We really get into the weeds about uh, film school. Um, if you <laughs> want to hear stories about people and time that you're, you're a fan of mid 80s <laughs> or early 80s uh, USC film school, <laughs> the bungalows. Check uh, it out. Besides Blues Brothers, name one other 80s movies that uh, you are mildly obsessed with that you think about a lot. Oh, ooh, gosh. Uh, oh, man. Um, wait, that's 70s. No, it wouldn't be that. I'll just say that one. Well, Animal House. Okay. Yeah. I just think that's such a funny comedy. Again, it's, it's not, it's a terrible movie for women. But yes. uh, as far as, I mean, as far as the female <laughs> characters go, but I just think the style of comedy in it is very, very funny. It is, I, you're right. There are certain things about it from a, a modern day perspective that are, are a little rough, but mm-hmm. just for genuine laughs, yeah. it is, it still holds up as a comedy better than, than many movies I can Total think. Total anarchy and, and the 
fact that they and I know John Landis had to fight to get to have this uh, have Elmer Bernstein do the score because the score is a very a very serious sober score. Yes, and that just makes it's it a ten, great makes it score. ten times funnier. Uh, I think maybe what, why you thought of that. If it's anything like me, I was too young to see it when it came out in theaters. I didn't actually get to see Animal House uh, until I was on campus at USC and they oh, played yeah. it. Yeah, well, I got so I, I saw it in the eighties, <laughs> even though it oh, was, there you go. <laughs> my cousin, my uh, took me when I was underage. We were in Canada at my our cottage and we went to a packed theater filled with college students and that was another religious oh, experience must have been raucous oh it was just I've never heard an audience other than Raiders of the Lost Ark the opening see I, I have again because we're movie nerds I do have very memorable experiences of uh, Star Wars was one yeah. in Winwood Cinema in Odessa, Texas at the end and people were standing on their feet and cheering they put a disco ball in the ceiling and, <laughs> and kind of to create a, like a starry effect oh, at the I love end that. and it was like I, you know, chills through my whole little, yeah. uh, you know, pubescent body. Um, oh, what else? Uh, oh, and also uh, seeing uh, Richard Pryor's first concert film, The Wonder he's in the Red Shirt, the very first oh, Richard yeah, Pryor yeah. Live oh, yeah. at a midnight showing Amazing. with a whole bunch of white kids in West Texas mm. and literally rolling on the floor laughing so hard I couldn't yeah. breathe. Oh, yeah. Uh, just, and, and the entire theater filled just responding to this guy. Oh. I, I've never forgotten that. Those are religious experiences. Um, I asked you, this is the follow-up to the question that I must ask. I'm contracting actually obligated uh, by my overlords to ask a monkey question Um, since our last podcast have you uh, worked with a monkey, had an encounter with a monkey, purchased a monkey, <laughs> smuggled a monkey into the country. Any of those? <laughs> no, I have not. Oh. But I did work with a monkey before our last podcast. Tell yeah, me. I think we told I, that I story. Told yeah. yeah. No, no, no new. I have no new monkey shines okay. to, to report. <laughs> okay, you've got some work to do. I know. Uh, if there are monkeys in London, I, uh, <laughs> I uh, uh, tell everybody your socials real quick because you are fun to watch in Thank your you. travels. I'm just at Paul Fee. Uh, P-A-U-L-F-E-I-G at Twitter and on uh, Instagram. And what'd you get at your favorite coffee shop in New York the other night? Oh. Or day? Oh, oh, oh. I, uh, it depends. I mean, it's usually breakfast I have there. Yeah. So um, well, I believe I want. had a good Western omelet, egg white omelet. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Know, nothing better than like a New York omelet. <laughs> Paul, you're a, you're a minch, as uh, the, the folks say. Back at you. I Back at you, Larry. Right. You and uh, a simple favor. I cannot wait. Yay. And I hope it does great for you, And uh, but not so great that you get too big to continue to talk to me in the future. <laughs> no, I'll talk to you. The bigger it gets, the more I'll talk to you. What? So let's hope for like oh, a, a billion dollars. Of Everybody go out. <laughs> Screw that movie pass. Pay full price. Let's yes. go. Let's do it. Get a monkey. Get a monkey! Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.